0: testament when jesus first was in the process of coming down to earth when the angel visited mary and informed mary that she had been highly favored and chosen by god to deliver the promised christ child the messiah upon her protest he reminded her that in giving birth to this beautiful baby boy that she would call him jesus she was to give him the name jesus and that word means savior When Joseph found out that his fiance was with child, he decided to put her away privately, but an angel came to him and spoke to him and told him the truth as to the reality of why she was with child. And the angel simply said, you shall give birth to a son and she'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Early on, the very beginning, both Joseph and Mary knew That this child that Mary was carrying was none other than not just the Messiah, but the promised Savior who would come to save people from their sin against God. Jesus himself testifies to that in John chapter 10 that we read the other day. In verse 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This Charge I have received from my father Early on Jesus understands That his primary mission Was not to do incredible miracles Was not to preach a gospel message It wasn't just to have an incredible ministry With great results He came from the very onset To the road to Calvary Where he would die for the sins of those That would put their faith and trust in him Later in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 Jesus said for even the son of man Came not to be served but to Serve and he gave his life As a ransom For many he understood that he came To give his life as a Ransom that means there was a debt That was incurred from Humanity for the Bible Says in Romans 3 23 for all Have sinned." Romans 6 23 says the wage Of sin is death Because of our sin What we deserve is to die but yet Jesus came to bear the brunt the load the full wrath of God on the altar called Calvary where he would take upon himself our sin against God and die in our place. Later Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, he who knew no sin became sin for us on that Cross on that hill over 2,000 years ago Where he took upon himself our sin against God and died in our place He became sin who knew no sin so that we might be ransomed Might be forgiven, might be atoned for our sin against God Later, Peter says in 1 Peter two twenty four, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree That we might die to sin and live to righteousness For by his wounds you have been healed because of our faith in Jesus, the mercy and the grace of God is, is flowing now through that, that Calvary offering, so that as the blood that flows, we then become cleansed of our sin, and then we stand before God righteous, holy, acceptable, and that which separated us now no longer separates us, and now we can have communion, relationship, and fellowship with God. Why did he do that? I said it earlier in the offering, for God so loved the world. What motivated him to do what he did? Love. Love was the primary motive for which he came to die for us on the altar called Calvary. Nothing else motivated him other than his love for you and his love for me. John reminds of that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And because he loved us in this fashion, willing to give his life so that we might live... The primary thrust of our text today and all of the study, this main number one and primary only point that I want to make is this, his life for my life. He gave his life so that you and I might live. That's the only reason why he gave his life is so that we might have life because the Bible says that before we experienced this incredible grace found through the altar through the cross of calvary we were dead because of our trespasses and sin but because he gave his life on the altar called calvary his life now gives us life and in exchange for that his life for my life now through faith in him i give my life for his life my life now for his life that's the exchange Not that my life merits, deserves, earns, or pays back God for all that he has done. But it's simply to help us understand in this text today as we study what he did and then later what is our responsibility. We see in that text in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he said, For the love of Christ controls us, seizes us, motivates us, compels us, drives us. Because we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore all have died. Because he died, now we have all, through faith in him, have died like he died. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. We are compelled that because he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us, for sins that he did not commit on a cross, in exchange of that, we now extend to him a love. Not as deep, not as as compelling as his, but a love as much as we can can constrain ourselves to muster up within ourselves to offer to him a love where we no longer live for ourselves, but we now live for him. His life becomes our life. So his life for my life, in exchange, I give him my life so that I might live out his life. John 19, 16 talks about how Jesus was willing to die for us, and that's the text that I want us to sort of look at together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 19. The verses are going to be on the screen. Let's take out our notes, and let's talk about five things that I think this scripture helps us understand about how Christ died for us. Number one, in Christ's death, we see his faithful submission, his faithful submission You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus always, as fully equal with God, submits himself to God to show us how we might then live our lives. He did it willingly, and he submits himself now in obedience to the will of God, to the plan and the purpose of God. And it's described for us in beginning with verse 16, which is our text today. Notice in verse 16 so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. He, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. Where does this whole crucifixion for uh, the gospel according to John begins really in chapter 18, where we see Jesus is arrested in the garden with the disciples, and we know that that Jesus takes the the sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers, and he puts it back, and he says, no, 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 put your sword away, buddy. We're going to look at that in just a minute again. And they take him to a kangaroo court with Caiaphas and And they are trying to jockey for position And trying to accuse him of all kinds of things Eventually they stake him to Pilate Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this Jesus He doesn't want to get involved in this Jewish political skirmish And all this religious stuff He's not a believer himself And cares nothing about the, the Jewish faith And so he sort of dodges for a while But he can't dodge it anymore And he finally has to step up to the plate And swing the bat and, and, and take responsibility Because they are continuing to press him And so he finally gives them an opportunity you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And of course we know the story They select Barabbas to be released And they choose for Jesus to be crucified And Jesus then in chapter 19 In the first couple of verses of the chapter Is, is taken to be flogged The flogging is an interesting thing It's a whip with several strands Attached to a, a pole or some sort of handle On the edges of those straps we see very sharp objects Some of them are metallic and maybe bone or something like that And they're intended as they're being whipped on the back of the criminal They're intended to produce maximum pain And with each stroke on his back They cut through His flesh and blood begins to flow. Now, the reason they did this was not only because they enjoyed, I think, bringing suffering and pain to criminals... Not only as a deterrent to crime, but they did this primarily because the blood that now begins to flow in this flogging prior to crucifixion sort of weakens the individual as they then carry their crossbeam to the cross. They're already weakened by this beating by the time they get to the cross, so they don't live very long now on the cross. There's, there's, it's, it's very intentional, it's very strategic what they're doing. But what we learn in John 19 in the early on set of the chapter That these soldiers go an extra mile they, they get a crown of thorns and they place it on his head And they take a purple robe and they place it on his body And they mock him as they literally beat him almost to a pulp Calling him king of the Jews And after they have done all of that Then Pilate brings Jesus back out in front of the crowd And once again, I don't want anything to do with this. And they yell, crucify him, crucify him. And so he now releases. He delivers Jesus over to the soldiers to be crucified. And so they took Jesus now. They took him. Notice, at his own will, they took him, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, is called Golgotha. Jesus carries his crossbeam now through the narrow streets of Jerusalem on the way to the northern wall of Jerusalem, just outside the gate, in a prominent place where lots of people are traveling, so that he can then be suspended up in the air and die. It's a gruesome cruel death But it was a a mockery that took place In these very narrow streets I've been to Jerusalem I don't know if you've ever been there or not But there's not much room in between these streets Matter of fact Some of the streets are not much wider Than about twice the width of this aisle here And then there there are Structures that are there, and and I can imagine that that Jerusalem at this particular time of the year, right before Passover, is is already crowded as it is, and the soldiers are making their way through the narrow street, pushing people out of the way, so that Jesus can make his way down what we call today the Via Dolorosa, and he is on his way to the crucifixion. And people along the way are seeing him, and they're familiar with this scene, and it's their opportunity to mock and to make fun at him, and. Maybe some insult him, and who knows what else they did on the way. Did everything they could to humiliate Jesus on his way to the cross. Then the passage says that they then finally arrived to the place they call the skull. It's a very unusual place where we sometimes think that it is and I visited that place and it does look like a skull, it's a rocky place and there's some eyes and some nose missing and, and there's all kinds of excuses and reasons why they think it was called the place of the skull or Golgotha, but, but that's where they crucify him. They sort of go up this little hill and they crucify him in plain sight of everyone who's coming by this very busy road. It's interesting that John in verse 18 Simply with one sentence says There they crucified him That's all he says Does that strike you as odd? I mean of all the disciples who were there John was there And John in just one very small sentence Only says there they crucified him I think John as he's sort of writing this pinning this this account of the gospel is reminding himself of that time when he, he stood there with three other women and he saw the, the lifeless body barely breathing, fighting for breath, hanging on that cross. And, and that, that's all he could, he could write. He didn't want to write anymore. So moved as he was writing just these words, this was all that he could get out. They crucified him. We know that the custom of the crucifixion was... And once that the person made it through the narrow streets to the place of the crucifixion, they laid him on the ground and he was carrying the cross beam and they lay the cross beam down and they extend Jesus' arms and they drive nails through his wrists, not through his palms because it's the wrist more than likely where the best... Um, Bones to secure a body it's just being suspended. If it were to put in the, into, the, into the palms, more than likely the hand would rip apart and they would not be able to be suspended, but many believe it was placed through the wrist, nailing nails through the wrist to a crossbeam. Can you imagine? The pain. And then they would suspend the body in a, in a, a stake that was already up. Some believe that it was in the form of a T. Uh, some believe it was in the form of a crucifix. And some believe it was more, in this, look more like a, a plus sign. It doesn't really matter what it looked like. It was a cross. Intended to maximum humiliation. And agony. And pain. And they suspend Jesus on this cross. And they... they They put a, there's a place on there where Jesus can actually, a little piece of wood, he can put his foot on to this little piece of wood to suspend him because you see, as he's being suspended and held by these nails, as you can imagine, his back, wide open because of the, the beating he's already taken and he's being suffocated almost and so he needs his, his legs like this to keep him suspended or he would suffocate to death and that's, that's the agony of this cross you see this person who is in so much agony and pain finds himself hanging on a cross trying now to, to with every breath to, to, to gain breath because they're fighting past the pain so that they can gain oxygen in their lungs are they Will suffocate so he's pushing himself up and as he's doing that they nail his feet to the cross as well I don't know about you but that's got to be pretty painful but John simply says they crucified him and with Two others, that's all he says And we know by several other accounts On either side of him were two criminals Some believe that they were guerrillas Guerrilla warfare Somebody believes they were freedom fighters For Israel, it doesn't really matter But they were there because of their Criminal acts and they had been charged They had been tried and they had been found convicted And there they hang with Jesus But the point that I want to make is, Is found in that little Phrase, so they took Jesus, I don't want you to to be confused at all. Jesus allowed them to take him. He submitted himself to being obedient to the plan and the purpose of God, and he was faithful in submitting to the plan and the purpose that God had because he came for the primary purpose when he left heaven and came down, was born of a virgin, and he lived his sinless life, perfect life, to now finish the work that he came to do through the cross. Where he would take upon himself sin, the sins of those who would place their faith and trust in him, his faithful submission. I I I struggle with that. Because sometimes in my humanity, I avoid suffering as much as possible, don't you? Don't you? I mean, that's why you have Tylenol and Aleve and Advil and all the other things. We get a little headache and we think we're suffering. But to suffer this way, to submit himself to this kind of agony and this kind of suffering and this kind of pain for you and for me blows my mind. And yet he was faithful in his submission to the will, to the sovereignty, to the authority of God. Because earlier in John chapter 18 when he's in this encounter with uh, with Pilate and they, there's this exchange between him and them and, and Pilate kind of looks at him and said aren't you afraid dude why don't you answer my questions because I have authority to give you life or give you death and Jesus in the boldness of that moment understanding the, the, the future and what is about to happen to him says to Pilate in this address with Pilate the only authority dude that you have has been given to you by my father And if God had not given you the authority to do this, you would not have the authority. Jesus understood the authority line. God first, and God is sovereign, and God is the one who is the supreme authority, and he knew that he was submitting to God's authority. He was submitting to obedience to the purpose and the plan of God. Even on the onset, in the very beginning, when he began his life to the bitter end, he was submissive. Faithful submission The second thing I see here is forever recognition. There's a forever recognition in the title that is given. Notice in verse 19. Pilas also wrote, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, "Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews." And many of the Jews read this inscription For the place where Jesus was crucified Was near the city And it was written in Aramaic In Latin and in Greek Notice the custom here of the crucifixion And most of us sometimes forget to realize What is going on There's a custom in Roman execution of all criminals what they would do is they would get a plaque or they would get some sort of something and they would inscribe on that the crime that this individual had committed and they would attach it to them somehow as they were carrying the crossbeam on the way to the crucifixion to the execution of the sentence so that as they walked through the streets everyone would know what their crime was and what they had been found guilty of that's the custom And so true to custom, what Pilate commands his soldiers to do is to write an inscription and to place it on Christ. Now, the inscription that he places on Christ is that he says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's his punishment. That's his crime. The reason he's being sentenced to death is because he is the King of the Jews. And that's the custom. But notice the complaint. The chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. They were enraged by this. We're not sure when they saw this. Were they somehow in that mob, in that crowd along the streets of Jerusalem, and they saw the inscription that Jesus was wearing, king of the Jews? Did they perhaps, when they walked by the cross, to see that their, their, their Plot and their plan had now been Finally completed he's, he's dying on the Cross you know we just want to make Sure that he's really gonna die and that This is really over and all of a Sudden they get there and they see this Inscription and they are mad They're angry He's not our king Why don't you rather put He said he was King of the Jews because he's not really The king but Notice what happens Verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And I think Pilate here is basically doing that just to go, nanny, nanny, poo, poo. He's he's mocking them. He's throwing this into their face because he despises them as much as he does their religion. And he's saying, No, I'm not changing anything whatsoever. But I ask you, is this title wrong? We celebrated today the triumphal entry of Jesus, didn't we? And when Jesus got on that animal and rode down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and the people heralded him and praised him and sang to him, what did they call him? Somebody tell me, what did they call him? Come on, shout it out. What? You better need to do some reading. They called him King of the Jews. They addressed him in the triumphal entry As king of the Jews King of Israel they called him They recognized him as their king And yet when he was Before them, and and Pilate gave them an option, Barabbas or Jesus, they said, crucify him. And Barabbas said, but wait a minute, what about him? And did you know that the religious elite, the religious leaders of their day, when, when he said, is he not your king? Do you know what they said? They said, we have no king but Caesar. Now think about that for just a minute. We have no king but the government. For the government is our authority. Shouldn't they have said Jehovah God is our authority? And yet they say to Pilate and they mock Jesus, we have no authority other than Caesar. You know, we have a lot of people today who see the government as their authority, but I'm here to tell you the government is not our authority. God is our authority. Now we should obey the government, but the supreme authority is God. For he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And one day he will return and he will inherit the kingdom that has been promised to him through the angel's communication to Mary, his mother. And he will establish his throne in Jerusalem and he will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But even though they crucified him, he rose from the dead. And you know where he sits today? At the right hand of the father as king. We should forever recognize this title. Number three, notice the fulfillment of scripture. Interesting that God is sovereign in all of this. Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Jesus is suspended on the cross. If you can imagine the scene, he's hanging by his crossbar on on the cross. and, And more than likely, it's not a very large place. And so he is aware of all of the surroundings that are going on beneath him. And he can hear everything And there he's, he's fighting for his, his breath As he's pushing back the pain Trying to suspend himself Because if not he's going to suffocate And so it, it's, 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 it's a gruesome thing to watch Someone dying on a cross And there's Jesus And he watched these four soldiers Take a part of his clothing And they divide it in four equal parts Because it's valuable enough to be used for someone else Notice the the casualness Notice the indifference Notice the selfishness Of these soldiers who Really don't give a flip about this This son of God hanging on a cross All they can think about is How am I going to benefit from this? And I'm going to a little side note here There are a lot of people today All they're interested in in Jesus is what they can get out of him To me that's what the health, wealth, prosperity gospel is all about What's in it for me Not what can I give But what can I get If you can't get anything you're not for him what I'm here today. it's not about getting It's about giving And I've gone down that little journey long enough It's not what we can get out of him in a selfless, indifferent attitude toward his death on the cross, and yet I wonder how many times in my own journey in the last thirty-five years or so—actually, forty—it's so more than that—I was saved when I was seven, so I'm twenty-five. So, what does that make me? Anyway, <laughs> haven't you sometimes been a little bit indifferent about the cross, motivated by self-interest? About what you can get, rather than what you can give, in exchange for what he gave. Notice verse 24, so they said to one another, let us not bear it, let us not tear it, I'm sorry. But cast lots for it too. See who shall it be. Let's see who's going to be. Let's us cast some lots. This is a little gambling here. Now, these soldiers are completely unaware of the sovereignty of God. I don't have a clue that they're falling right into the, 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 the scriptures that have been written regarding the Messiah, the Savior, who is dying on the cross. For there are many scriptures that are predicting and prophesying exactly to the detail what is happening to Christ on the cross. And unaware that they are falling into the plans and the purposes and the hand of God, they cast lots. Did you know that that was prophesied in the Old Testament in Psalms um, 2, 14 through 18? This was to fulfill scriptures, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, unaware, completely clueless. They are fulfilling scripture. Isn't it great to know that even pagan, unbelieving, self-centered people who care nothing about Jesus whatsoever... Are falling right into the sovereign plan of God Unaware that they are doing his bidding And fulfilling his prophecies It doesn't teach you the sovereignty of God I don't know what does But notice one thing I want to take a quick side note down to verse 28 Because this, this really blew me away this week After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished Said to fulfill scripture After this, Jesus, knowing, what did he know on that cross? Now, he is fully man, but he is fully God. And from the get-go, he knows what his mission is and where this journey is going to take him. And he's been living his life and fulfilling this ministry and proclaiming this message and doing these incredible miracles, totally motivated for this this, this next to the final act Because there's one more next Sunday That I think he's aware of Jesus is so aware In all of the pain And the agony and the suffering That he's going on on the cross I mean if you can imagine the, the excruciating pain And the struggle to keep yourself From suffocating Because it's not time yet to die he has the, the presence of mind to know that what I need to do now is to fulfill Scripture. Talk about intent and purpose and direct. He is he, he is it just that just blows me away, doesn't it, you? that he pushes past the pain and he thinks about you and he thinks about me while he is suspended on that cross so that he might fulfill the requirements of the prophecies and of Scripture. That's why he's there, to fulfill the Scriptures so that you and I through faith in him might be redeemed, might be reconciled to a right relationship with God. That just, that, that blows me away. And yet we see he is doing this Strategically fulfilling the sovereignty of God Number four Fearless disciples We see in this crucifixion some fearless disciples Notice But standing by the cross of Jesus Were his mother and his mother's sister Mary The wife of Clopas And Mary Magdalene Let me just stop there for a minute And most of us know what happened at his arrest, how everybody ran for their lives, a bunch of scaredy cats, into hiding. Simon Peter was the only one who, in the shadows, followed Jesus to a point in which he went in for the tribunal and only around a campfire denied Jesus three times. And when, finally, when the, the rooster crowed three times, he ran in total embarrassment for having denied Jesus. And Jesus is all alone. And now he's suspended on a cross. And he looks down and he sees four individuals Four disciples Just four Now when you think about it One by this time more than likely is dead Judas The other ten are are hiding out for their lives Afraid that they're going to be next But there's one and his name is John John who is next to the cross We're not sure how close he was But more than likely It was the custom for family members To gather at the foot of the cross To watch their loved one Being executed for the crime they committed and mourning their death And so obviously Mary And another Mary And another Mary There are three Marys That's not quite a full hand But that's three Marys And one John One of the twelve Jesus called specifically And three women 4. Not giving any thought or any concern to their own life because their Jesus is being suspended on a cross. They could be next, but they love him so much that they have so much courage. They are fearless. They don't care what happens to them. They want to be at the feet of the cross of Jesus, suspended up while he's dying. They want to be there, and they want to see it because they love him, and they are... Fearless in their devotion to him I would love to see that kind of fearless devotion to Jesus in my own life How about you? And Notice when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved Standing nearby He said with his mother, woman, behold your son And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother And from that hour the disciple took her to his own Home There's the charge It's a legal adoption somewhat And he's fulfilling the Old Testament To love your father and mother That commandment This has been a great Mother's Day message Wouldn't it? And here he gives John a charge, and he gives Mary the charge first, and then John, and there's a lot of debate over that, and Catholicism takes this and runs with it, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I simply want to say that, 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 that this is, is so striking to me, that Jesus, who is suspended on a cross, fighting for every breath to keep from suffocating, <laughs> looks past his own pain and sees his disciples. He sees them And he's concerned Obviously about his mother But he's concerned about John And I can't help but think That he's not only concerned About these four disciples But he's also concerned About all of his disciples Present and future For what he did on that cross He did for you and for me And then lastly number five I want to look at his final words his final words, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. I thirst. It's Not really a request, but it's a statement. But Jesus has the presence of mind while he is fighting for every ounce of breath to stay alive, to push back the pain. Knowing the scriptures that said in the Psalms that he would say that I thirst and they would give him something to drink. He knows while he's on the cross that God is still sovereign. God is still in charge. And he knows that if he says and when he says I thirst, they will give him something to drink. Now, he's already rejected something to drink, and that was the mixture that they gave him in order to sort of take away some of the pain. It was a sedative that he refused. Not going to take that. I want the full brunt of the punishment of the cross. But now he says, I thirst. And notice what they gave him. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This was the cheap wine that the soldiers drank. and i'm sure by now and he has been thirsty the whole time he's been on the cross and yet he has the presence of mind before i breathe my last breath i'm going to fulfill the scriptures i thirst and they gave him something to drink he received the sour wine and he said it is finished to telestai to telestai it is finished that word simply means finished means it's complete It means that there's nothing more That I have to do on this cross For sins to be forgiven It's done It's over My work here on earth At this point Is done And notice he bows I look for it Maybe you can help me out And some of you sometimes like to come up And try to help me In some form of Mistakes that you think that I've made, or whatever. (laughs) And sometimes when you speak publicly without a whole lot of notes, you may have a tendency to boggle some sort of, you know, not truth, but some sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Detail, you know. Um, But I can't find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus bowed to anybody at any time other than now. He bows. He's on an altar And he bows his head He lowers his head I think as a form of worship Or he could have said the words With his head lifted up Like most of us like to worship But he bows in the presence of God And he gave up They didn't take it from him He gave up his spirit He breathed his last breath and he physically died. Did Jesus have to die? Yes. Why did he have to die? Because of his love for you and for me. I wanna close with an interesting illustration about, I saw it on Facebook here not too long ago, keep that scripture up, I'm gonna come to it in a minute. A little girl and her daddy were having a father-daughter moment. And the daddy picked two daisies and he wanted to teach her the little daisy, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And so he picked one of the daisies up and gave her one. And so I'm gonna show you something, honey. He said, Watch, and he pulled one. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, loves me not. He got through and he said, Did you see that? I said, Yeah, can you do that? And she looked at her daisy for a moment, and a smile came onto her face and she said, You know, daddy, I think I'd like to try it my way. He said, Okay, honey. And she picked one and said, He loves me. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. You think about that theologically. There is never a moment and never a time when Jesus didn't love you. Because he loved you even before you loved him. And he loves you even when you don't love him. But now through faith in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him, and what he did on the cross for us The love of Christ now controls us It motivates us It compels us It moves us to act And if if you say I love him And you can sit indifferent and idle and cold And in, and, and passive and, and I love him, I love him But I do nothing It doesn't motivate me to do anything at all Then I would say your love is not the right kind of love Because he says for the love of Christ Controls me It motivates me It drives me Because we have concluded this That the one who has died for all Therefore all have died And he died for all That those who live Might no longer live for themselves Did you get that? That that we no longer live for ourselves Because he Loved us We now love him And we no longer Live for ourselves. We live for him. Why? I'm motivated. I'm compelled. I'm controlled. I'm driven by my love and my gratitude, my devotion to him. So we want to tell you today that he loves you. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one only son, to the a cross, for you. Today, he has extended to you an opportunity to place your faith and trust in Jesus and accept him as your savior and commit to him the leadership, the lordship of your life. And if you have never made that decision today, in a moment as we stand and sing, we're going to invite you to go to the next steps area. Some pastors and some people there would love to pray with you and help you make that decision. But what if the love of God doesn't motivate or compel you to do anything? Do you need to be revived? To be renewed? To be restored? Do you need to fan the flame of the Spirit of God in your life so that your love for Him is ignited and it drives you and compels you and moves you and motivates you to know Him? To follow him, to serve him, and to share him. Or maybe there's no motivation there because there's no life there. What decision is he leading you to make today? Let's pray.